0: I don't know if you can relate at all, but sometimes I feel like life is a restaurant. And off the menu, I've ordered a nice, juicy slab of prime rib. And what the waitress brings to the table is a cold, greasy chunk of spam. Have you ever had that feeling before? I had somebody in between services tell me that they came out with a pumpkin spice spam. Can you imagine that? I mean, we all like pumpkin spice, but right, that's a little ridiculous. Pumpkin spice spam. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? We have certain expectations in life, and what we expect is prime rib. What we expect is good stuff. What we expect are blessings and positive things, right? But then when the bad things come, and when the bad things typically come unexpectedly, we're like shocked, and we're like, wait, I didn't order this. I didn't ask for this and then on top of that we're like I don't like this I'm not gonna eat this and we have a rude waitress who says yeah you are gonna eat it that's all you're getting right now and so we don't know what to do you know life is like that life can be difficult and as a person of faith how do you respond when you don't get what you ordered as a person of faith How do you deal with it when unexpectedly adversity comes into your life? Today, we're going to be looking at an incident in the life of Jesus that over the years has meant so much to me personally. Within this text that we're looking at this morning is my life verse. If I had one verse, I'd say, that's Dave's verse. We're looking at it today. And so this particular story, this particular passage of Scripture has been very meaningful for me personally, and so I look forward to talking through it and teaching through it uh, with you this morning. But you're going to see Jesus flexes his muscles. He flexes his authority muscles, but he also flexes his mercy muscles towards a father who is very, very desperate. And as we get started this morning, here's, here's the first thought I want you to have, that we all have a need for hope because life is hard. And I don't think I would get a single person in this room arguing with me. That we all experience a lot of hardships. That life is often very difficult. And as people of faith, we need hope. We need hope through those difficult times. This world that you and I live in is incredibly broken. And it's not as God originally designed. And so the violence... The hunger, the disease, the hate, the selfishness, all the things that are so difficult in our world were never a part of God's original design. And I believe that there will come a day where God will restore paradise, where he will make all things new, and all the brokenness will be healed. But in the meantime, you and I live in an incredibly broken world. And here's the brutal truth. No amount of cautiousness can shield you from adversity. No amount of careful planning can help you avoid adversity. No amount of money can buy your way out of difficult circumstances coming into your life. And the truth is not even being a follower of Jesus makes you immune to the world's problems. And you know firsthand that becoming a Christian doesn't put a protective bubble around you that makes you get a free pass from all the troubles of our world. And so it's the common experience of each of us that we live in a broken world that brings heartache and sickness and disease all the time. Today we're going to look at the story of a man who is having a crisis of faith. And he and his family are under a tremendous amount of stress, and it's a story that I love. Uh, Setting the scene. If you were here last week, you know we're in Mark, uh, the first part of chapter 9, what's commonly called the transfiguration of Christ. And you know that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the top of a mountain for a prayer meeting, at this time, Jesus became glorified. He 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 was just uh, transfigured in all of his full glory, and it was it was very scary to to Peter, James, and John. And then to make it even weirder and more scary, Moses and Elijah suddenly appeared, and and so it was just an incredibly uh, spiritual high kind of experience. But in the meantime, down in the valley where the other nine disciples were left behind. They ran into a father who was desperate, who was looking for Jesus, couldn't find Jesus. Jesus was up on top of the mountain getting transfigured. He wasn't available. And so he bumps into Jesus' followers, the other nine, saying, Can you help me? I have a demon-possessed son. And the followers of Jesus tried to cast out the demon, tried to help this desperate father, and they failed. They couldn't help him. And so people began arguing, and there was a lot of chaos, and that's when Jesus entered on the scene. He came back down the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they come into the scene of absolute chaos. And Jesus says, what is going on? What is all the arguing about? And this is where we pick it up in Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. It says, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Can you hear the anguish in this father's voice? Can you for a moment place yourself in his shoes and imagine your child being demon-possessed? Think of the fear, just the stark fear that would be part of that experience. Think of the the feelings of guilt. Why did this happen to, to my child? What's wrong with my home? What's wrong with our family? How could this happen? Why did this happen? Can you imagine the judgment that they felt from others in their community. People thinking, boy, I wonder what goes on behind closed doors. How's that family so messed up that one of their kids is demon-possessed? My guess is they were very, very isolated socially. I'm guessing when you have a demon-possessed kid, you don't get too many invitations to birthday parties. (laughs) You probably don't get invited over for play dates very often. It would have been weird it would have been scary it would have been isolating it would have been an incredible thing for a parent to experience their child tormented in such a way now my friends this morning as we think about the spiritual principles we're looking at you can substitute demonized child and replace it with a difficult marriage or a painful divorce or financial problems or bankruptcy or marriage difficulties, health challenges. It's the problems of life, the adversity that comes into our life. We don't ask for it. We don't order it, but we get it anyway. And now what? That's what we're talking about here. principle that I want us to see and it's really the premise for our teaching this morning and it's this that adversity will either make you bitter or better but the choice is yours that adversity seldom leaves you the same person and most of the time you'll come out the other side of the tunnel of adversity adversity typically doesn't last forever but it's what you come out on the other end either you'll come out stronger and more hopeful and more trusting or you'll come out angry and bitter and you'll become half the person that you once were. And I've seen this. I've seen this in so many circumstances. I've seen it in my own life. My wife Karen and I, in, in the time we've been together, we've been through some incredibly difficult circumstances. Financially, financially, oftentimes regarding the health of our children, ministry, different issues or problems. Uh, and, and, and I know there's times where we've just felt overwhelmed, where we felt crushed. And I felt my heart. I sensed my heart starting to become bitter and starting to become hardened and starting to shake a fist at God and, and, and catching myself thinking those kind of thoughts and it scared me. And and over the years I've watched families who go through similar circumstances and family A goes through these circumstances and when it's all done they've grown and they're praising God and their character is stronger and they're a testimony and witness to everybody about them and then family B basically the same set of circumstances and they become angry and bitter And they turn their back on God and they stop going to church and you never see them again. And it's like, okay, what's the variable? See, that's something I want to figure out. What's the variable? Because it scares me. Because what's to keep me from abandoning the faith? What's keeping me from turning my back on God? So what's the variable where one family makes it and in fact thrives and comes out on the other side stronger and better and the other family that completely collapses, that's what we're going to look at, what it takes, how we as people of a faith respond to adversity in our lives. But before we go there, let me just parenthetically, like this is like a side road, like a sub point. But let me parenthetically say this before we move on. I want you to understand, and you can see it in this story, that there's uh, Jesus' followers letting you down does not equal Jesus letting you down. All right, and that's super important to keep in mind because this desperate dad brought his boy to the disciples with high hopes and they failed. They tried to cast out the demon and couldn't. And you know what? They had done that before. Jesus had trained them how, on how to deal with supernatural forces and they had cast demons out before they had a new experience. So they knew how to do it. They should have been able to do it now, but they couldn't. And so this father had a tremendous letdown. He had such high hopes. But I want you to notice he didn't give up. And things changed when he eventually got to Jesus himself. And I just want to point out the fact that there will be times where Jesus' followers will let you down. Even though they shouldn't, they do. And you'll be disappointed, You'll be hurt. You'll be let down. And folks, you can't mistake that for God letting you down. You can't make mistake your friends not being there for you as equating to Christ not being there for you. And so always make that distinction. Never become bitter towards God because fellow Christians occasionally might disappoint you because it's two different things and you've got to keep moving forward towards Christ. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on His people. And keep moving forward. Now, here's where we're going to get real practical. Okay, let's talk about how to respond in faith. Responding in faith, and the bottom line is we have to be wise. We've got to make good decisions. We've got to make good decisions. We've got to take responsibility for our own actions during adversity in order to thrive spiritually. Now, before we read the rest of the story, I want to say a word about demon possession. Many people in our world would scoff at the concept and think, ah, oh, it's just something that Hollywood makes up to make scary movies like The Exorcist or, you know, Damien or, you know, any of the demonic type movies. Uh, uh, but here's the deal. Supernatural world is real. It's just as real as our physical world. You have to believe in the supernatural. If you believe in God, you believe in the supernatural, right? If you believe in God, you believe in the supernatural. And so part of the supernatural world involves spirits, angels, those who are servants of Christ who do his will in the world, but also the evil spirits, what we call demons. And you and I are spirit beings. We have a spirit living within us, but our spirit is embodied. Our spirit is within a body. These are spirits that don't have bodies. They're not, they're not limited by a body. But this idea that a spirit can inhabit a human being and have control to one extent or another, controlling their voice, controlling their actions and that kind of thing, It took place in the time of Christ. That there was a supernatural outbreak of of supernatural phenomenon uh, that that just erupted while Christ walked the earth. It's real. It's it's recorded numerous times in the gospel. And I want to suggest to you that demonic possession still takes place in our day. My friends, I've seen it. I've dealt with it myself, and I tell you that it's real. Now, it's often misdiagnosed in our world because... It's not even within the wheelhouse of people for that to be a possibility. But I believe it happens, and what we're looking at, I believe, is true. And so picking up how Jesus deals with this, check it out beginning uh, at verse 19. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And guys, this is where things change. When you bring the boy to Jesus. And what did you substitute for boy? Financial problems? A difficult marriage? A health diagnosis? Bring the problem to me. Bring the boy to me. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's my life verse, just so you know. All right. I've prayed that prayer more than any other prayer in the course of my life. I can't tell you how many times I've said to God, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. My faith is seldom, if ever, pure. I believe. I want to believe. There's a big part of me that believes, but there's a big part of me that's doubting, that's fearful, that doesn't know what's going on, that has more questions than answers. And I'm just being honest, right? And so being able to say to God how freeing it is to be able to say to God, God, I really do believe, but help me with my unbelief because I'm a conflicted person. That's what the desperate dad is saying here. I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Three keys to handling a crisis with a faith that will make you better and not bitter. First principle is this, bring your problems to Jesus. That when adversity comes into your life, take it to Christ seek him out lay it at his feet bring it to him this was the turning point I love how Jesus deals with this father the question he asks in verse 21 he says how long has this been happening why do you ask that Jesus knew the answer to that Jesus was God Jesus knows everything right so why did Jesus say how long has that been happening I want to suggest to you that Jesus did that because what he was basically saying to the father was hey tell me your story. Tell me your story. Tell me what you've been dealing with. He was drawing the man out. Because Christ knew how therapeutic it can be to tell your story to another person. And Jesus was telling this man, I care about you. I'm sorry for what you and your family have been going through. Tell me your story. And so the Father does. Do you ever tell Jesus your story? Do you ever take the time to go for a walk? Maybe when you're driving in your car and you just tell Jesus your story. You say, he already knows it, Dave. I don't need to bother doing that. He sees everything and knows everything. Duh, I know. You didn't listen to what I just said, all right? Jesus asks you to tell your story because you need to hear your story. You need to get it out. You need to express yourself to him so that it's real to you. So why do we often hesitate to bring our boy to Jesus? Why do we hesitate to often bring our crises and our adversity to to Jesus? There's a number of reasons. One, I think sometimes because we're afraid, God will say, well, you made your bed, you lay in it. In other words, it's all your fault that you're in the circumstances that you're in. Why should I bail you out? We're afraid we're going to get that response, right? Or we're afraid to come to him with our problems because we blame God in the first place. We think, well, if God was more loving towards me, I wouldn't be in this mess now, so why should I come to him to fix it? He's the one who got me here. We might think that. Or we might just mistakenly think that faith is something for weak people, For those who can't stand on their own two feet. And I'm not going to be weak, and so I'm not going to worry about praying or bringing my problems to God. But that's the place to start, is to bring your problems to Jesus. Now, here's the second thing you've got to do you've got to admit your doubts. Bring your promise to Jesus, and then like the Father, admit your doubts. I like the exchange in verses 22 through 24. He says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus catches the if you can, right, and calls him out on it and says, if I can. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for those who believe. And the Father cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know what's a significant part of this story here? Jesus didn't reject the guy when he got real. When the guy admitted that he had doubts, Jesus didn't say, you punk, don't be bothering me. You go away and you come back when you have perfect faith. When you have absolutely no doubts and you totally believe in me, then we'll talk. Until that time, don't bother me. That's not how Jesus responded. The father admitted, he said, I'm conflicted. I really do believe Jesus and I really am. Hopefully you can help me, but I got to be honest and say I have my doubts. He was conflicted. And Jesus embraced him. Jesus delivered for him. Jesus helped him. And that authenticity was super important. How foolish it is for you and I to believe we or to act like we don't have any doubts when God knows that we do. Just admit it. God's not going to reject you for struggling. And then the final thing you need to do is this in times of adversity, after you've brought it to Jesus and after you've admitted your doubts, then you got to focus your faith you got to focus your faith and it's not all that hard to do You <clears throat> got a little, little illustration here that I want you to see so pay attention to my feet all right here's the way it works <clears throat> we're called upon to stand and I think to myself yeah That's going to hold me up. I have zero doubts that this is going to hold me up. My faith is strong. My faith is pure. My faith is powerful. My faith is awesome. Dave is a guy of faith. I was told to stand on this. I'm going to stand on this. It's going to hold me up. And my faith is awesome. It's 100% pure. Oh, no. What happened? I had such faith. My faith was so strong. And it failed. What happened? I don't get it. Boo-hoo. Okay, I'm called upon again. Stand on it. Uh, This is stupid. It's not going to work. I don't believe for a second this is going to hold me up. This is is dumb. I got so many doubts. I got way more doubts than I do any sense of confidence that this is going to work. But I was told to stand on it. I'm going to stand on it. I know it's going to collapse. It's going to be embarrassing, but whatever. Okay, now what just happened here? Tons of faith, crushed box. Almost no faith, but there was some. Where could you tell I had faith here? Where could you tell I had faith here? I got on the box, right? So it wasn't much faith. I expected it to collapse, but I'm like, might as well. It was just a little faith, but it's, it stood me up. It kept me stable. Now, friends, here's the point that I'm trying to make, okay? Here's the point that I'm trying to make. The biggest mistake that Christians make, that people of faith make, is having faith in faith. They have faith in faith faith. And their focus is their own faith. And they're always wringing their hands. Oh, do I believe enough? Oh, is my faith strong enough? And they're always worried about their faith. And it's the wrong focus. The focus should be on Christ. So here's the question I would ask you. What is the object of your faith? What is the focus of your faith? A little faith in the right object is infinitely better than a lot of faith in the wrong object. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? That all day long, I could have all the faith in the world, but I promise you, every single time I step on this, it's going to collapse and let me down because the object of my faith, it's in the wrong place. It'll never be worthy of my faith. But you get something that's rock solid, and all it takes is, oh, I don't know, what could I compare it to? Maybe the faith the size of a, what, mustard seed? Just a little bit, not a lot. Just a little bit. Just faith of a mustard seed and... You guys are all afraid I'm going to fall over, aren't you? (laughs) I'm afraid I'm going to fall over. I'm not going to jump very high. Isn't that amazing? Now, see, faith is important, and God wants us to have strong faith, but ultimately, the primary issue is what your faith is in. Are you following me? Does that make sense? I hope it does because it's an important part of what I'm trying to communicate this morning. So don't wring your hands worrying about the amount of faith you have. Just simply step out in faith, even if you're struggling, even if you're in doubt, and see what happens. Anything is possible for the person that believes. When God becomes part of the equation incredible things can happen. Faith's a mystery, and life's hard to understand. And I'll grant you, there are times where we don't understand what's going on, right? And we don't understand why things are happening. And I've learned the why question is a pretty useless question to ask, because more times than not, you can never answer that. Why? And so rather than focusing on the why, focus on the, okay, God, what next? Lord, this happened to me. What next? The why Even even if he answered you the why, so what? How is that going to help, right? But just simply saying, God, what next? How, How do I remain obedient? That's what counts. I love Isaiah 50, verse 10. Check it out. This is a great verse. It says, if you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, and some of you are there right now, If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. That's a great verse. That's a great prayer when you're going through difficult times.